0: Well, hey, welcome back to the uh, Making Disciples Every Day podcast. My name is Jason Dukes and on team with Brentwood Baptist and my colleague and friend, uh, Paul Wilkinson, also on team here. Good to be here. And today we have as a very special guest, Dr. Robert Alter. And Dr. Alter is a uh, graduate of Harvard University. He is currently, or as far as I know currently, the Professor of Hebrew and Comparative Literature in the Department of Near Eastern Studies for the University of Cal Berkeley. And Dr. Alter, is, he has taught there since 1967. He's a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, the American Philosophical Society, the Council of Scholars of the Library of Congress, and is past president of the Association of Literary Scholars and Critics. Now, I may need your help pronouncing this, Doc. He's he's been twice a Guggenheim Fellow. Did I say that? And has been a senior fellow of the National Endowment for the Humanities, a fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Jerusalem, and Old Dominion Fellow at Princeton University. Professor Alter has written widely, On the European novel from the 18th century to the present, on contemporary American fiction, on modern Hebrew literature, and on literary aspects of the Bible. His 22 published books include two prize winning volumes on biblical narrative and poetry and award winning translations of Genesis and of the five books of Moses. Books by Dr. Alter have been translated into eight different languages. But a lot of why he's on the broadcast on the episode with us today is for his most recent work, which is titled The Hebrew Bible, a Translation with Commentary, for which he won the Penn Center Literary Award for Translation. And then I want to mention this because I just think it's uh, pretty impressive that in 2009, Dr. Alter also received the Robert Kirsch Award from the Los Angeles Times for his lifetime literary. Contributions. So, either I flattered him there and said too much, or maybe I at least gave uh, 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 gave a, a sense of why I'm really excited that Dr. Alter's with us today. And Dr. Alter, so say hey to everyone listening. And if you want to add anything, we we always give our guests freedom to give any personal information that they would be willing to share as well.
1: Okay, well, I'm happy to be here and um, just to one minor addition that my main appointment here at Berkeley has been in uh, the Department of Comparative Literature and it's been 25% in Eastern studies and uh, where I do both biblical things and modern things, modern Hebrew things and uh, that, that uh, Penn Award actually was... Uh, not for my recent completed Hebrew Bible, but for the five books of Moses a few years back. I, I did get an award, which is largely for um, the, the Hebrew Bible. From uh, It's an award for literature from the uh, American Academy of Arts and Letters. Wow. And otherwise, I'm happy living here in Berkeley, uh, writing, translating, playing tennis, and still doing some teaching, though I'm technically retired.
2: That's great. Yeah, emphasis on technically, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, my, my dad was a professor for 40 years, and, and uh, has I think he retired three times.
1: <laughs> I see. Yeah. yeah, retirement in the academic world, depending on the person, can be an ambiguous thing.
0: <laughs> That's right. Well, Doc, we, we really we want to value your time. You're very gracious to join us today. And, and uh, so I just want to dive in and, and go ahead and sure. ask. let's do that. Ask the question, your longtime work in the Hebrew Scriptures, how, how did that even begin? What, 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 what launched you into that?
1: Well, it began by accident. That, that is, uh, I've been reading the Bible in Hebrew, since my late teens uh, and uh, was always fascinated by it Um, but from a literary angle I can never quite explain why it was so great when it seemed so uh, sparing in words especially in the narrative of course and then uh, along about the the later 70s I, I thought I could maybe begin to explain this so even though My work until then had been strictly in modern literature. Um, I wrote an article uh, on biblical narrative uh, and I thought it would be a one-off, but it got quite a response so I thought, well, I'll write another article. And one article led to another and I wrote a book on biblical narrative which has been in print ever since. And at the time, I thought, well, I'm not really a Bible scholar. I'm in modern literature, uh, so I will um, th- this. I've got this out of my system. But the response to the narrative book was uh, very good. So I thought, well, why not a, a book on biblical poetry? Uh, uh, by that time, I was sliding down the slippery slope, uh, and the Bible became uh, a major uh, area of my work although I did continue doing things in modern literature and then finally um, uh, I hadn't thought of translating until I had a conversation with a very amiable editor at W.W. Norton back in the early 90s and he proposed a topic which had to do with Genesis and I said well uh, I could do this but um, I, in order to do it, I have to do my own translation because there's some problem with all the translations, and that got me going on the big translation project.
0: And when when was that? I, if I understand correctly, that was twenty. It was it was a twenty four year journey. Would that is that is that correct? When
1: right. That I think I started translating Genesis in uh, 1994 and it came out in 96, uh, and to be honest, I thought at the beginning that, that my, my notion of how to translate the Bible was quixotic and it wouldn't work. That is, uh, I wanted to try to get into English a, a lot of the uh, uh, the stylistic brilliance of the Hebrew and its subtlety in conveying meanings, and I thought, well, that won't really work because uh, the structure of the two languages is so different. Uh, But it turned out to be a better approximation than I thought, it was well received, and then I went on from one book of the Bible to the next and finally did the whole ball of wax.
0: So so I'm curious because um, in in our network and circles, you may or may not have heard of a gentleman named Eugene Peterson
1: Oh, yes. Uh, I've looked at his translation. It's, uh, uh, let me say this about about the Peterson translation. Uh, It's the absolute opposite of of what I do. Uh, I have a certain respect for it in the following way. Um, He's trying to make the Bible as accessible as possible to people. 21st century uh, American readers. So he transposes biblical idioms into modern American idioms and so forth. And it's rather lively, but it, it reads in a very different way from the original. And um, And what I try to do is to get the feel of the original into the English, but in a way that that will still be legible to uh, 21st century American readers, American and British.
0: That's great. That's great. And I I thought that would be an interesting distinguishment, uh, the differentiation between those who might be familiar with what he has done and those, uh, and and what you yourself have done. Right. Well. Right. So how did I mean? What was that like? I'm just curious. What are some maybe ways that you would describe, a couple ways that you might describe what that 24-year process was like? I mean, how do you stay consistent? How do you stay focused in that? Did it keep your attention?
1: You know, oh, yes, it did. I mean, I have to admit, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Hebrew Bible, which uh, your listeners should remember, is not really one book, but it, it's uh, an anthology, what I would call an anthology that yes. spans almost a thousand years. from yes. Let's say the, the song of Deborah in judges, which might've been composed around 1100, uh, before the, the common era down to, um, Daniel, which is, uh, second century BC. So, um, uh, in uh, well, what happened? Oh, so uh, what I was going to say is that th- there are certain biblical texts which you have to translate if you're going to do the whole thing, and that <laughs> they might not spark your enthusiasm, like the, the Book of Chronicles, which starts off w- with nine chapters that are nothing but lists of names. So what do you do with that? Sure. You reproduce the names in English, right? Uh, or um, I'm not that keen on all the sacrificial laws. You know how you butcher animals and so forth in Leviticus. But there is a lot of wonderful things uh, which kept me going. And and what I found uh, both with the poetry and the narrative prose is that after a, a certain point fairly early on I kind of hit my stride and uh, I felt okay this is the way you render biblical narrative prose in English uh, and, and then I could run with it uh, and probably the same thing with the poetry well I, I'll give you a concrete example from the poetry um, biblical poetry is very compact. Hmm. This partly has to do with the structure of the language. There aren't a lot of polysyllabic words, uh, and uh, you can condense uh, uh, the subject of a verb into the way it's conjugated and the object of the verb into a little suffix at the end. So it doesn't use a lot of words and a lot of syllables. Uh, And one of the problems with the existing translations of the poetry is that they're very wordy in relation to the Hebrew. Like even the King James, which I have a lot of respect for, I like it a lot better than the 20th century English versions. (laughs) Uh, It has beautiful lines like, yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. That's fantastic. But uh, It's nothing like the Hebrew, which uses about a third of the number of words (laughs) and a third of the syllables. So I began to find ways to tamp down the the English language. One thing I did was I favored the Anglo-Saxon component of English over the, the Greek and Latin. So that was a way of avoiding words with a lot of syllables. I don't say iniquity, I say crime, and and so forth. Um, And then I I kind of eliminated um, extra words which weren't really necessary. For example, in Psalm 30, uh, the King James Version reads, um, uh, in the first half of a a line, um, uh, what profit is there in my blood? Now, if you listen to that, you hear it doesn't have much of a rhythm. The Hebrew sounds like this, ma betsa bidami, you can hear the strong rhythm. Hmm. So it occurred to me that you didn't need the is there, which isn't in the Hebrew, actually. So by translating what prophet in my blood, which is perfectly coherent in English, yeah. you get exactly the same rhythm as the Hebrew.
0: That's good. That is excellent and and it's, i hope i hope our listeners are under, understanding that the reason we would even invite you onto the podcast is because for those that are followers of Jesus the they might call the hebrew scriptures the old testament right and i just i think it's undervalued and i it, it, i'm i'm enjoying i think paul would agree i'm enjoying you speak of it with the passion and the articulateness that you are and and why it was something that was meaningful to you. I'm, I'm curious how, in that, in that process and in that journey, if someone were to ask you, how did it change you? What, what, might, you, what might you say to them? How did it affect you personally?
1: Well, uh, mostly it, it, um, it led me to um, a much greater respect Uh, for Scripture. That that is, um, uh, apart from uh, people who, of course, if you have a, let me put it this way, if you have uh, a, um, let's call it fundamentalist belief that uh, every word of the Bible was dictated by God, then of course you have tremendous respect for it because it all comes directly from God in the verbal formulations that uh that we have now my my uh conviction is, is that these writers who felt that, that uh they were inspired by God certainly the prophets did um uh mediated the word of God through the human imagination so the the, the word choice is there let me put it that way yeah. uh and um, I came to have a a, a greater respect for for these people. Um, That is, as moderns, uh, we tend to be maybe a little bit condescending toward the ancients. We we figure, well, you know, we're much more sophisticated. Our our literature is sophisticated. We have James Joyce and we have have, uh, Gustave Flaubert and so forth. But in fact, uh, these people, these writers, uh, as they translated what they felt was uh, divine imperative into uh, human literature, were uh, very subtle, very sophisticated, uh, and often dazzlingly brilliant. Uh, And that's the, the the uh, awareness that grew on me more and more over the years
0: it's good it's good so
1: now let, oh, let me add one, one more thing uh, as, um, uh, as as you know uh, my faith community is uh, Jewish uh, and w- when I set out to do the translation uh, i didn't really have a clear idea of who my audience would be. But one of the things that surprised me, you know, these days with email, uh, readers are much more uh, likely to write writers than when you had to address an envelope or put a stamp on it. And everybody can find me just by going to the comparative literature uh, site at at UC Berkeley. So I've gotten uh, a a really large number uh, of emails, most of them quite enthusiastic, over the years, and what surprised me was how many enthusiastic responses I've received from devout Christians uh, of all sorts, Uh, that is uh, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, uh, Episcopalians, Catholics, and so forth. So what what I conclude from this is is that there's a certain thirst uh, among uh, men, I, I, I'm not generalizing about all Christians, but uh, 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 among Christian readers, there's a certain thirst to have in English a version of the Bible that brings them closer to the feel and the uh, subtle meanings of the original.
0: I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I think I think the as I talk with people, and I think Paul would agree too as we walk with and encourage and and talk with different people that study the scriptures and that want to know more of the scriptures, uh, especially if they have what they might call a relationship with God, mm-hmm. uh, you know that they want to feel it, they want to see it, they want to sense it they want to they want to know it, they want to touch it they they don't want it just to be. Um, another thing that they read, right, and so i I do think there's something really beautiful and powerful about trying to get back into that that as you said thousand year anthology and the culture and the culture of those times and and right and so i think it's I do think it 's really meaningful. I would agree with you hundred percent on that so Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. Lots of people would suggest that you may agree or disagree.
1: Of course, he was. Yeah.
0: So uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to presume upon you. <laughs>
1: no. So, so, so no so, debate about that. Yeah. So,
0: so Jesus was a Jew. He the the Hebrew Scriptures that was as Philip Yancey has written that was the Bible that he read.
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: How do, you, how do you see, in your understanding of what you uh, have, have studied and know of the teachings of Jesus, how do you see it come to life in a way that maybe someone who doesn't have the background you have and the experience you have in the Hebrew Scriptures, how do you see it come out in Jesus' ministry?
1: Well uh, okay first as far as kind of textual closeness to, to the um uh to the hebrew scriptures uh, th- there's not a, a lot of direct citation by Jesus uh th- there is of the gospel writers who will say uh, and this was uh, done to fulfill the word of isaiah and so forth but there, there is one very moving moment which I think all of us remember, in which uh, uh, Jesus on the cross says, and he says it. I'm, I'm going to comment on this in a minute. He says it strangely in Aramaic. He says, "Eli, Eli, lama shavaktani," which means, "My Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Uh, and um uh, the, the, the business the use of Aramaic I'm not sure how to parse that. that. That is, did Jesus uh read the read scriptures in some Aramaic version? I, I think not, I think he read it in Hebrew. But but the the, the gospel writer who uh was certainly more comfortable. You know, Aramaic was his vernacular. He was more comfortable with Aramaic than uh, than with Hebrew. And, and I should explain to your listeners that these are closely related languages. They're sort of like French and Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, he, it seemed to him, more plausible to put the verse uh, in. Aramaic rather than Hebrew, but in any case, the the main point is not about the languages. The the main point is is that this uh, Jew from the Galilee um, in the the moment of his greatest suffering uh, finds it natural, and I kind of believe that this this report is historical. he finds it natural to identify with the words of the the psalmist, which is, of course, how believers, Christian and Jewish, have done uh, over the ages with with psalms. So that's a a minute indication, but I think a telling one uh, of how uh, the Hebrew Scriptures spoke to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, uh, beyond that, um, well, let, let's proceed.
0: Well, let me. I want to. I want to. If you don't mind, I want to ask some a couple questions about that that Psalm twenty two. Yeah, right. Moment for him, and because I I think a, as far as people who would consider themselves a, a Christian. There are, there are numerous ways that that particular quote from Jesus on the cross have been taught, have been, have been um, parsed out into various systems of theology. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to hear in a, in a much purer sense from you, uh, help, our, help our listeners understand what Jesus might have been doing in that moment. Um, because that's the beginning of a, of a Hebrew biblical poem right? That, that, right that's the beginning of a poem so Jewish biblical poetry um, it, it, help our listeners understand what might have been going on there in your opinion in, in Jesus' mind as he would quote the beginning of that poem
1: well uh- Here's what 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 I think that yeah um, uh, you know, it, it, it's um,
0: this isn't a loaded question by the way i I'm no, really, no 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 it, it is I'm, uh,
1: really, I'm, and, I'm
0: really interested in what you would say
1: right and the last half of the the the, the line is something and uh, far from my rescue are the the the, the words that I shout out. Um, i i think th- that that uh, psalms i probably i'm i'm going to make a, a, a cautious guess here that uh, that psalms are the, the the uh the most read book of the bible hmm. uh, you know it's not a big narrative like genesis and so forth uh, uh, but it it um it's a, a, a book of poems that have spoken to, to people's inner life, uh, not only in late antiquity, but, but right up to uh, our, our own moment. And, uh, and in fact, some people have suggested that, that, that psalms become a kind of model for lyric poetry in the West that is it, it, it's uh it's not that, that that we wouldn't have had lyric poetry w- w- without psalms but, but but psalms is a kind of inspiration for the personal lyric that that uh gives an intense articulation to an individual's uh experience so i i think that's probably how it was for jesus you know he he knew uh, i'm sure he he knew psalms for all i know he may have actually had Psalms by heart, uh, and the 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 most natural thing in the world uh, was would, would be uh, at a moment of crisis, uh, uh, at other moments, a moment of revelation, that that uh, a, a line from Psalms would come into his head, and. Would say you know that that is my experience now. I, I, I'll give you a, a, a less loaded example. <laughs> uh, I, I was friendly with, with the, the the great Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai, and uh, I strongly recommend him to your listeners. I think he's one of the great poets of the 20th century. <laughs> uh, uh, he was once uh, visiting me in my home in Berkeley, and uh, and we were uh, sitting on the couch in my living room, which has a, a, a big window opening to the garden. Now, in Berkeley, as in many other places in this country, uh, deer t- can, tend to wander into people's gardens. They're a bit of a menace because they eat your flowers. But, <laughs> but that that's what happens. I don't know if it's true in your part of the country. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Uh, and so we're sitting there on the couch, and we both look up at the window, and there is a deer in in our garden about, uh, you know, 10, 15 feet away from us on the other side of the the window pane, and immediately I thought, I didn't say it, uh, of the the verse uh, from Psalms uh, as a deer yearns for springs of water, so I yearn for you, O Lord. Right? Yes. Uh, and um, and Amichai then, w- without any prompt from me, pronounce this verse. In other words, if, if you know these texts and care f- about them, and this is not a, a moment of, of tragic crisis like Jesus on the cross, but uh, still if you know these verses they, they they suddenly speak to what's happening to you here and now
0: yeah no question no question and I, and I not everyone in the evangelical world agrees with what i'm about to say go ahead but <laughs> but, but, but i in a lot of ways i i i, I feel like jesus in was telling Reminding himself of the entirety of that poem, not just the first. Oh, poem. probably, and, yeah. And that would be consistent, right, with the way that absolutely,
1: that yeah.
0: Because how that poem ends isn't about being forsaken. You know, it's about a God who hasn't forsaken, and right, right. and and so it's it's almost like in that crisis moment, he's saying to himself, you know. Um, this is what it seems like, and this is what it feels like, but I, I need to remind myself. And that, that's the structure of the typical Jewish poem, is it not? Is it, it, it gives the emotion and brings back a reminder of what the Father might say.
1: Right. Now, w- what I'd add is this uh, about psalms. That, that, that There's a category of psalms that, that scholars call supplication. Hmm. Where uh, the the speaker in the in the poem is in some desperate straits on the brink of death or or, or whatever and uh, turns to God and expresses his desperation. But I have noticed that many of these psalms of supplication pivot in the last line or so, yeah. and they turn into a, a, a a thanksgiving psalm Hmm. that that, that is the the prayed for redemption is realized at the end.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's what it, I, to me, I think we would be more faithful to what it seems like Jesus might've been doing in that moment. If we would remember, uh, even the way that, that you just described it, I think that would be helpful as we process those poems
1: yeah I, I agree
0: so we we uh in the questions that I sent to you there were there are a couple of them that I think we felt like we wouldn't have a lot of time to talk on and and but one of them I want to ask not the, I'm not going to ask the ones that you um referred to, but one that is at least related to those is that you have there, and that is you know so Jesus being a Jewish rabbi help help our listeners maybe with just your background and your understanding and the way that you've walked through those scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and, and understanding even of the rabbinic culture. What, what might be some helpful insights that you would suggest to those that would say they are followers of Jesus? Because he was a Jewish rabbi, right? Like, like even the ways that he interacted with his disciples, even the ways that he engaged and taught may or may not have been consistent with other Jewish rabbis. And I just would love it if you'd speak to that, if you, if you don't mind.
1: Okay. Well, uh, the, the, let's say the role of rabbi was kind of emerging around the, the, uh, the time of Jesus and, I would say it, it solidified uh, over the the, uh, the next century, maybe by by uh, late in the first century of the Christian era and the second century uh, of the Christian era. Now, the 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 rabbis uh, were first of all and this remained true in Jewish culture later they, they they were authorities on the law which meant they were authorities uh, on the interpretation of scripture as the basis for uh Jewish law uh there is some certainly some interpretation uh, of scripture even um, radical interpretation of scripture uh on the part of Jesus in uh, reported in the, the four Gospels, but w- what I would suggest is, is that uh, Jesus has a kind of double role. Uh, he, he's a rabbi or teacher, and uh, I should say that that the uh, the Hebrew word for rabbi, rav, basically means teacher. Uh, but he also was strongly identified with the uh, tradition of prophecy. Now, uh, 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 many of your readers may think that prophecy uh, is a matter of predicting the future, but that's not the main thrust of prophecy. The main thrust of prophecy is moral rebuke. That is, the prophet serves as a kind of conscience for the people. Uh, uh and uh, and and i think that that's uh, very central to jesus's mission so from that point of view he he's a, a kind of heir to biblical prophecy
0: hmm. That's good it's really good yeah and i think i think it is important for our listeners to understand and 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 in, maybe in some ways for all of us to understand because i think Regardless of whether someone is a follower of Jesus or not, uh, his teachings have certainly been respected but oh, sure but but I think it's helpful for all of us to understand that that if anything his what he emphasized in a repetitive way uh, is something we should definitely take notice of and i think I think that's consistent of of the typical rabbi, right? There were certain things that each of them might be known for or associated
1: with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds plausible.
0: So,
2: so I wanted to ask you this um, next question and I want to frame it for me personally, uh, that I'm a, a philosopher by training and an analytic philosopher in particular. So at oh. times, yes, yeah, a curse. <laughs> but at times when I'm reading the Bible, I'm just filtering out content. I'm just getting facts, and when I hear you talk about the scriptures, uh, I hear something that I don't always get or maybe rarely get when I'm reading the scriptures. So what would you say to someone like me or any of our our listeners um, that that we want to get these facts out of the scripture, but what are we missing theologically when we're not catching the beauty, when we're not catching the deepness and the brilliance you talked about earlier of these authors?
0: Well, uh,
1: maybe the best way I can answer this is um, an example or two from biblical narrative. Now, um, I'll mention two figures, Jacob and David. Especially in the the case of David, um, he's, after all, he's the... the, uh, the founding monarch uh, of the Davidic dynasty, and um, for Christians of course uh, he is uh, his lineage leads to jesus um, and um, and he 's often thought of both in christian and jewish post biblical tradition uh, as uh, an ideal king mm-hmm. um uh, this process starts in the Book of Chronicles, which uh, I would say, to, to put it bluntly, cleans up the image of uh, of uh, David. And you know, you have the the the, um, the David story with no Bathsheba and, and no murder uh, of uh, Uriah, right? That, that sort of thing. And we've all seen the, these um, medieval uh, Uh, representations uh, of uh, of David with um, uh, 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 sitting on his throne playing the the harp, singing (laughs) the the psalms he purportedly uh, uh, composed. And um, in some of them I think he may actually have a halo. Well, uh, in the biblical story itself He doesn't have any, though. That that is, he's a very complicated character Hmm. uh, who uh, basically does important things, good things, but but he's not altogether a good man. Uh, Again, the Bathsheba story uh, is the prime illustration of this, but but, uh, he also... um, uh, has his weaknesses. He he uh, uh, at a certain point he finds himself at the mercy of, of his general and henchman Joab and so forth. So if you read the narrative of David with attention to its fine literary articulations, uh, you see how uh, complex a figure he is. Now, why is this important theologically? because you 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 uh, introduce theology into your question. I think it is because um, uh, from a theological point of view the 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 strong message, I don't, usually don't like to use that word, but the strong message is that uh, if God works through humanity, he works through imperfect human beings,
0: mm,
1: uh, and 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 that's certainly true of David, and in another way, it's true of Jacob. But I, I needn't elaborate on that.
0: <laughs> although maybe, although I would love to. Uh, maybe if I'm out there sometime, you would give me the privilege of 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 buying you a a, a supper and hearing your thoughts on some of the stories in Genesis, because I would absolutely. Uh, be um, captivated by that?
1: Well, uh, let me say one thing quite briefly. Now, Jacob, who who, uh, is given then the name of Israel, is the eponymous founder of the people of Israel, right? Israel takes his name. And you would think he ought to be uh, an ideal character uh, and in fact he's made out to be that for example in the uh, the many of the midrashic interpretations the ter- interpretations of the early rabbis but in fact he is uh, like david he's complicated and he's he can be rather devious he's a bargainer he actually bargains with god as well as with human beings yeah. uh, and uh, I'll give you a small example of where the attention to the literary articulation of the text gives you insight into this. The first words that he speaks, and it's one of my rules of thumb that the first words that a a character speaks in a biblical story uh, are important in defining the character. So uh, you remember Esau comes to him, he's famished, he hasn't uh, found anything in his hunt, uh, and um, uh, and he says, let me gulp down some of that red, red stuff, it's, uh, the lentil <laughs> stew that uh, Jacob is cooking. And Jacob then says, and it's important to keep all the words in, in the same orders in the Hebrew, which other translators do not do. He says the following words, Uh, sell me no he says sell now your birthright to me now look at that order first he says sell the imperative verb then he says now he wants to close the bargain so he's not, not tomorrow not next week or next month but now and then the very fraught object of the verb sell, your birthright, you know, extremely valuable thing. And then at the very end of this short sentence, to me, it's like a trap slinging, springing clothes on his um, unawares brother Esau. So just the order of half a dozen words uh, tells you a great deal about Jacob as a calculating man mm. uh, and if you pay attention to that th- then you again get the this sense uh, of god working through imperfect human beings
0: mm, so good excellent yeah that's so good yeah i i i um yeah mm. i i i wish we had a whole lot more time to talk um uh, at least for me personally i'd love to hear a lot more about um, your perspectives on these Hebrew scriptures, you know in closing, um, because we have we've come to the uh, end of the time we told you, and I want to okay. respect that. I want to respect sure. that and value your time. You've been gracious again to be with us, and we appreciate it. And, um, you, you've given encouragement, you've highlighted why the Hebrew scriptures are so powerful and meaningful and beautiful. So, two two final questions, then, and I'll I'll ask them, and, and then be quiet and let you answer, and then we'll wrap up the episode. But
1: sure, Okay. Oh, good. Um,
0: the first one is any any other specific thoughts or encouragements that you might want to give someone who's engaging with the Hebrew scriptures? Any any other uh, encouragements there? But then also being uh, of your background um we don't you know not everybody listens to this by any means as you know uh so but but if if i've asked another uh jewish friend this same question and i really respected and appreciated how he answered it and so i thought i would ask you the same question and, and that is if you could say one thing to the american christian church if you could say something to them uh having immersed yourself in the Hebrew scriptures, but also having uh, the background that you have in, in uh, your Jewish faith and what would you want to say to them? So just an encouragement about the Hebrew scriptures and our engagement, but also a thought or a challenge or, or an encouragement to the American church.
1: Sure. Okay. So the first question, uh, I'd say the following, um, uh, I think readers need to tune themselves in to all the um, complexities and subtleties that are going on in in, uh, in the Bible. And, and by doing that, the, 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 I think they'll get a richer sense uh, of its religious vision. so uh, so I, I want to suggest, One rule about reading the Bible, (laughs) if I like, um, there are lots of repetitions in the Bible, right? Uh, The, um, uh, uh, in many scenes, one character says something and then uh, another character repeats it seemingly in the same words. That's one kind of repetition. Uh, There is... um, there are repetitions of scenes where more or less the same story seems to be told about different characters, like somebody uh, meeting a young man or his surrogate in one case, meeting a young woman at a well on foreign territory, uh, after which betrothal uh, 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 terms are agreed on and they get married. Uh, this, by the way, re- recurs in John's gospel right at the beginning mm. uh, with Jesus. Uh, um, so uh, what, oh, and another kind of repetition, of course, is um, in uh, the poetry, where as people have recognized since the 18th century, it seems to be built on A repetition of meaning between the first half of the line and the second. So, what I would invite readers of the Hebrew Bible to look for is what changes in the repetition. It could be like when whole sentences are repeated, one crucial word could be changed, and that changes the perspective. Mm. So, you look for the differences. In the repetition, and in um, the uh, again that story of uh, the meeting at the well between the future groom and uh, bride. Um, uh, each story they seem to be kind of the same, but then when when you look at Isaac's story and Jacob's story and Moses's story, each one is subtly adjusted to that particular figure and that's again something to look for and in in the lines of poetry what happens is that the second half of the line which seems to be repeating the first half and, and that's what the old guidebooks always said repeating it in different words is actually developing the thought intensifying it heightening it giving it more concreteness. So uh, I would uh, encourage readers to look for that kind of difference in repetition in everything in the Bible. Okay. Now, um, remind me of your second question, I got on. <laughs> That's
0: good. That's great. And that. Thank you for those encouragements. Those are those are significant. Uh, the second question and the final question that I'll that for today would is from from your perspective and your background your immersion in the scriptures as well as your own faith what's an encouragement or a challenge either one uh, or both that you might give uh to the american christian church what's something that you might challenge us in
1: oh okay um i want to go back to what i said earlier about the the bible um being an anthology in a way, the the the, the, uh, the New Testament is an anthology as well, but it, it's chronologically much more condensed. It, it spans maybe a century of, of composition, whereas uh, the 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 Hebrew Bible uh, uh, spans a whole millennium. So you would expect it to be more variegated. Mm. So I, I would say that if if you want to get at, at uh, the the um the depth of perspectives that the the uh, the bible offers on human nature the creation moral value uh, history and much else um you you in even though we call it the good book the the, uh, the holy book and so forth you have to shake this conception that it, it's, it's one book. I mean, part of its greatness is, is that uh, it offers so many different perspectives, some of them mutually complementary and, and some of them actually challenging the other uh, perspectives. So, like, certainly the, the book of Job and the, the book of Ecclesiastes challenge consensus views that you find elsewhere in the Bible. And I think that uh, a person of faith ought to be prepared optimally to be challenged by the Bible than just to have the the, the Bible reassure him or her of his preconceptions.
0: Hmm, that's good, really good. Well, Dr. Alter, thank you so very much for for being with us today and taking of your time and um i know you are two hours behind us there where you are and and so you've got a little bit more of your day left than we do but right but we are very appreciative and i hope that you've enjoyed uh this yes i
1: really liked our conversation
0: well i'll tell you what if uh if we come out that way, we'll let you know. Maybe you'd let us buy you at least a cup of coffee, and and um,
1: oh, that would be very nice.
0: If you're ever in Nashville, let us know as well. And and um, and uh, we are we are uh, hopeful that those who are listening today would not only appreciate the perspective that you bring, but but just take a look at even uh, the value of what those who are listening might call the Old Testament, and I think a lot of times in disciple making, uh, in 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 this following of Jesus and this disciple making effort, I think a lot of times we we look at the Gospels or we look at the letters of Paul or we look at uh, so many elements of the New Testament, which mm-hmm. which really don't make as much sense. Um, when you when you when you don't catch the the depth and beauty of the old testament and and I think uh, I hope that it's been an encouragement to our listeners today to take time to dive into and to notice the nuances as you've pointed out of the Old Testament or of the hebrew scriptures and and your work again, uh the Hebrew Bible, a translation with commentary twenty four years in the making that's available uh it's on amazon T- tell me again cuz i've forgotten off the top of my head who the publisher is i want to mention
1: it it's that. Uh, w w norton Nor- and even though i'm not necessarily a fan of amazon i have to say that i would recommend uh purchasing it through amazon because they have very steeply discounted it
0: well there you go hopefully it doesn't take away from uh the way that it supports your your uh your how you put groceries on the table, I guess,
1: but no i I'm fine with the groceries <laughs> <laughs> but all, all that to say
0: that's that's that is how I got it and and i I hear what you're saying about not being a fan of amazon, but that's how I got it. um I heard about it through a friend though, and then looked it up and and so um I've enjoyed it, and I've recommended it to some of my colleagues here and encouraged them to get it. I know a lot of our teachers. Uh, I recently purchased it for one of our campus and teaching pastors. And and so um, I'm hoping that they'll dive in as well and appreciate some of what you brought out today. And, and again, thank you so much for your time.
1: Okay. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
0: Yes, sir. We'll talk to you yeah, later. Take, take care.
1: Later. Bye.
0: Well, I hope that uh, you have enjoyed that time with Dr. Alter. Paul, any thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? Or
2: No, keeping the Bible as a, a whole, um, keeping the, the big picture in mind and uh, letting the Bible work on you. I was really encouraged by him saying, not only do we see theologically God working through imperfect people, but that the Bible works on changes, molds, and sculpts us if we yeah. let it. If, we, if, let if it. we let it. It's good. And uh, boy, he's just an encouragement. I agree. I agree. You've given his whole
0: life to it. Yeah, you could, t- and you could hear. I could, at least. I think you would agree. You could hear the sincerity and the passion, um, in much the same way when I talk to my dad about the New Testament, which would be his. People would say it's his expertise. Uh, in that similar way, you hear the sobriety and the and the appreciation, and the the just the emotional. Um, engagement that has been there. And, and so very grateful for that. Again, you might ask, you know, hey, why, how does that have to do in anything with disciple making? I hope you're not asking that because I think anytime we engage with the scriptures, it affects not only our disciple making, but especially what it is that we're ourselves trying to live and to share with others. And live right. with so others. recognize
2: one, that God can use you. That's recognize right. two, that the Bible's forming you. And really pay attention, if you ever go back and listen again to all that, um, where he talks about as things happen in his life, he just sees the text come to life mm, in his good. life. I love it. And I think that's our mind and your passion for uh, us as we make disciples, is that you're going to encounter situations that Jesus himself encountered. Yes. What better than the Holy Spirit to bring to mind scriptures of how Jesus actually engaged those situations yeah. to empower, to lead you and give you confidence as you make disciples. It's good.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, hey, we're glad you tuned in and uh, thankful for uh, your listenership. And if you have any questions or any thoughts, responses, you're welcome to send those in to us. My email is jdukes at BrentwoodBaptist.com. Paul's is pwilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist.com. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Next week, we will dive in to a conversation on mental and emotional health and its impact on Disciples Making Disciples. And uh, two straight weeks we'll spend around that conversation. And so we hope that, that you'll tune in for that and look for that next week. Thanks again for joining us today.